I'm not sure how many of you are soccer fans. I, I'm, I'm a soccer fan. Even if you are not a soccer fan, uh, most people recognize that the English love the game of soccer. And for people from England, there is one year that is forever etched in their memory. It's the year 1966. Uh, they hosted the World Cup that year, and it's the only year uh, that England has ever won the World Cup. The uh, captain of the uh, English soccer team that year was a man by the name of Bobby Moore. And uh, for, for Bobby Moore to receive uh, on his team's behalf the World Cup trophy was probably the greatest achievement and the greatest thrill of his life. But later he would be interviewed and he described the terror that he felt in receiving that trophy. He felt terror because he came off of the pitch and everybody was celebrating. Everyone was feeling so great about their victory. And then they lined up and and if you can still watch on YouTube old fit footage of him receiving this, uh, this trophy. But they walk along uh, this row in front of the, the boxes, uh, the royal boxes. And Bobby Moore is filled with fear because he looks down. He recognizes that he's going to receive this trophy. But before he does so, he will shake hands with the queen. And he notices she's wearing these long white gloves. And he sees those long white pristine looking gloves and he looks down at his own hands and they're filthy. Covered in sweat and mud from the game. And he's literally filled with terror. What am I going to do? So if you watch the footage of this, as he's walking along, he's got obviously dirty soccer shorts but he's, he's going like this, and he's realizing his shorts, shorts are too dirty. That's not really getting the job done. So as he's coming along the, the royal box seats with the, with the, the, the purple uh, uh, velvet uh, pieces along the side, he starts wiping his hands on that as well <laughs> as he's going along. Uh, and finally reaches the queen, shakes her hand, and receives a trophy. For, for me, that is a perfect picture of how many people will approach their meeting with God. Uh, many people have, have this sense of maybe uh, like Bobby Moore did when he came off the field. They look to their accomplishments. They look to the things that they've done. And they have a feel, sense of satisfaction. And, and, and Bobby Moore should have had a sense of satisfaction and he, he, as he came off, he looked around and there were lots of people applauding, lots of people cheering him, lots of people saying, what you have done, your, your effort is truly remarkable. And he felt that, and that gave him a sense of confidence. But he, as he came down that final stretch there, he stopped thinking about the applause of the crowd and started thinking about the queen from whom he would receive that crown. And he started thinking about those long, white, pristine gloves and how dirty his hands really were. Many people have some 
some sense of this. They're, they're, they can be uh, filled with confidence for a time because of their accomplishments, but when people start to think about God and, and different circumstances and events in their lives can make people pause to think about God, to think about a holy God, to think about, as the Bible says, that one day we will meet with this holy God. At that point, many people do what Bobby Moore do, did. And they start to try and clean off their dirty hands. They try and clean up their lives. And they, they, they start, I better, I better live, live more sincerely. I, I, may, some people turn to charity. Some people turn to morality. Some people turn to religion. Some people, they, they turn to family, try to be the most faithful family member. There, there are all kinds of different directions that people turn, but all of those things really, according to the scriptures, add up to nothing more than wiping our hands on dirty soccer shorts. It's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's better than having dirty hands. It, it's better than nothing, but it doesn't quite do the job. The dirt and the sweat on our hands still remains. And so the Bible presents a different uh, path. It presents a different way of dealing with the reality that all of us can look at our hands in one sense and say, me too. I'm also uh, covered in in sin and I'm covered in impurity and my efforts don't seem to uh, really change that fact. And so uh, the Bible gives us a, a picture of that, and it involves a life of, uh, of joy that comes as we lay down this world's credentials in order that we would receive something greater. And so I want to look at that this morning. We're in, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Philippians, and today we're in chapter 3. And if you would turn there, I want to read from verses 1 to 11. Uh, Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11. And consider how we can lay down our credentials in order to receive something greater. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of, of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any possible means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. Now, the Bible tells us that one day we will meet with God. And he gives us here a picture of what to do to prepare. To begin to prepare to meet with God by first abandoning the empty credentials of this world's standards. Often, surprisingly, it's actually the good things that we do, not the bad, that can get in the way of us preparing to meet with God. We need to abandon the empty credentials of the world's standards. I want to explain. Now, in verse 1, Paul says that his goal for the Philippians is that they would rejoice. He wants them to experience a joy, and yet he knows that there are those who would threaten to rob, rob them of that joy. And so he's going to cover some familiar ground. He tells them that in verse 1. Not every sermon or Bible reading should tackle completely new information. Uh, In fact, the Bible says that there are central truths that we need to keep returning to to guard us and protect us. And so often what Scripture does, rather than giving us something brand new, is it will give us a different angle or view of some central or familiar truth. And that's what he's doing here this morning. Now in verse 2, Paul uses strong language, right? Even as I'm reading that, that language, you'd watch out for uh, the dogs, for the, the evildoers. So the, the, those mutilators of the flesh, you're like, whoa, that's, those are fighting words. Those are strong words. And yet Paul uses that language because the people he's warning of, frankly, were dangerous. What would happen was that Paul would move into a city, and he would plant a church. And as he planted that church, he would leave a group of people that were filled with a sense of joy and hope and expectation because through simple faith in Jesus Christ, their sins had been forgiven. And, and so he would, he would leave them with that sense of, of joy, a group of people studying the scriptures, growing in their knowledge of him. But then he would move on to another church, another city, I mean, where he would plant another church. And the problem was that after he left, other people would move in. Other people would move in and they would kind of, instead of picking up where Paul left off, they would kind of take his message and his teaching in a different direction. What they would do is to say, believing in Jesus is, is good, good start. But now what you really have to do to be accepted by God is to be circumcised and keep all of the Old Testament ceremonial laws. And these new Christians would hear the message. They would would hear what Paul had told them. They'd seen what the scriptures taught. And then these new teachers would come in and they were adding things to to the conditions and the credentials by which someone is acceptable before God, and they were left feeling confused. They were left feeling condemned. 
And so these are the, what Paul refers to as the dogs, the people who are, who are stirring up this sense of condemnation and confusion, robbing the people's joy. It, it seems to me that every 10 years or so, there's a new version of this. I, I have yet to hear people come up and, and make people feel condemned that they weren't circumcised. That, that's not really a thing uh, that uh, uh, you hear very frequently. But there are new versions of this all the time. And maybe you have, you have felt this. You you've, may have met people in the church and they see, feel very earnest and very sincere and, and, and zealous about their faith. But as you get to know them, you come to this sense that if you don't sign up for their program, that you don't measure up somehow. That somehow you haven't done enough. That you aren't acceptable to God unless you follow their steps. Maybe they say you've got to speak in tongues. Or maybe they say you, you can't speak in tongues. Or there are these certain hymns that you've got to sing. Or these certain hymns that you can't sing. Or you've got to educate your children in a certain way. Or you can't educate your children in a certain way. Or you, you need to dress in a certain way. There, there's, you need to have certain things that uh, will, will define you. As, as someone who is acceptable for, before God, a real Christian. And those people will suck the life and joy out of a church. They will bring condemnation where there had been freedom. There will be, they will bring a sense of self-righteousness where there had been a sense of joy in Christ's righteousness. And I don't know what the next one will be. I, I don't know what you will face. All I know is there will be a next one. Another, one, another version of this is coming. It's around the corner. Uh, it might be around the corner personally in your life. You may meet someone. You may be uh, exposed to someone. It, it may be an, something around the corner that, that will... That will uh, affect us as a church. And Paul is warning us in advance. He's telling us to watch out for it. And he tells us, uh, gives us that language three times to say, this is important, this will come, this is something to be ready for, don't let it rob your joy. And the problem is, I talked about these dogs and evildoers like they were people who weren't in the room. But unfortunately, they could be you or me. Uh, and so what Paul does here is he examines his own credentials and how he sees them, and in so doing, encourages you to examine your credentials and how you see them. What are some of the things that give you confidence before God? What are some of the things that you look to as your credentials uh, to, to help make you think, hey, I'm okay. I, I can, I'm ready to meet God. Uh, Paul was an overachiever, and so he had more credentials than the average person. In verses 5 and 6, he gives us a long list of them. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day. So we know that his parents were both Jewish, and they were meticulous in their Jewish observance. They got it right. They did it uh, in, on, the, on the right day. Uh, he tells us that he was not only an Israelite, but he could trace his lineage to the tribe of Benjamin. 
he, he tells us he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. That meant that not only was he culturally uh, Jewish and had, could trace the Hebrew line, but he, although he had grown up in Greek-speaking Tarsus, he, was, uh, he had gone to the trouble of learning Aramaic. He had uh, gone to the right schools in Jerusalem so that he would learn the language and be able to converse uh, freely. Paul was also a Pharisee, he lists here. He says that, that he's a Pharisee, and, and many people have a negative impression. When he uses that term, he's, he's letting people know he was a member of the most earnest and devout, strictest sect of Judaism in his day. He was so zealous for God, he says, that he actually persecuted the church. He had that, that driving sense for God's righteousness and his purity and holiness. And he, he just lists that as another one of his potential credentials. And then he says, when it came to righteousness as defined by the law, he was blameless. He did all of the things that he was supposed to do. He had, whatever the program was, he had observed it meticulously. And we're going to see how he views those credentials in a moment, but I wonder what credentials you would list for yourself. What are some of the things that you would point to if someone were to say, hey, are you ready to meet with God? If, if God were to, to approach you, what, how would you answer for your life? How would you, how would, what would you point to? And Paul gives these list of potential credentials, but what would be some of the things in your life? What, what makes you think that you're okay with God? Do you feel confident because you were, you were born in the right family or because you go to the right church? Do you feel a sense of confidence because you got a baptismal certificate or because you went through confirmation? Is it your diligence in, in church attendance that gives you a sense of, of confidence with God? Or because you, you give generously or because you serve wholeheartedly? What, what would be some of the credentials that you might point to to say to yourself, hey, I'm ready, for, I'm ready to meet with God? In verse 4, Paul tells us, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So I don't know what came to your mind when I asked you, what are some of your credentials? Paul says, I got a longer list. And he wasn't just being proud. He's making a point, like if anyone was going to find confidence on the basis of the things that they had done, the moral or religious or spiritual accomplishments in their life, he said, I've got a longer list. I'm more qualified. You think you have reason to be confident before God because of your credentials, and Paul says, I've got more of them. But Paul also began to look at those credentials before they'd given him confidence, but now he felt, as he looked at those credentials in light of who God was, he saw them a little bit like Bobby Moore and his hands and his attempts to clean those hands as he, as he was approaching the queen. He saw all of the things that he had done, and he would said, they don't really get me clean. They don't really prepare me to, to meet a holy and righteous God. 
And so he actually began to see that list of credentials as liabilities. He saw them as things that, that could potentially trip him up and, 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 and put him down. In verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, referring to that long list of credentials, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. They're liabilities. Not that they were wrong in themselves, but to the extent that I tend to trust in them that this gets the job done and prepares me to meet God, they're liabilities. In fact, this this word, uh, when he says, I counted, it's a word he'll repeat several times. He uses it three times to talk about his credentials in verses 7 and 8. Watch for it in verse 8 where he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. They were credentials. They did give him confidence before. Now he says, I count them as liabilities. I I recognize these have the, the potential to trip me up and to give me false confidence before God help me to think that I've washed my hands when really they're still dirty. By counting all his credentials as loss, he's calling us to do the same thing. He's calling us to look at our credentials, the things that give us confidence before God, and to take those credentials and count them as liabilities. And as you do that, as you take an inventory of some of your credentials, some of you might be thinking, well, why would I do that? Like, why would I, why would I put in the, the, the minus column something that, that was good? And, and here the clarification needs to be made. When he says he counted them as loss, it doesn't mean he counted them as bad. Many of them were good things. They were good things, they just weren't good enough. It, they weren't things that he could, tr- he could rest in for his salvation. And the fact is, many of your credentials are probably good too. But they become liabilities when you see them as the means of your acceptance before God. That's what we're talking about. Uh, listen to what Warren Wiersbe says of Paul here. He says, like most religious people today, Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble but not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. It was not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. He had to lose his religion to find his salvation. And what he means by that is that Paul had trusted in his religious works, his religious accomplishments, that that gave him a sense of confidence and acceptance before God. And He's saying, to the extent that that is true in your life, you need to look at those credentials and say, liability, liability, liability. That'll get in my way. Because none of those things fully get the job done. They don't wipe the hands clean. The good and religious things we do on this earth are better than crimes and blasphemy. They're they're good things. We're saying that. We're just saying they're not so good that they will merit anyone's entrance into heaven. And the problem is that we tend to think that they are. 
So look at the credentials in your life, the things that give you confidence before God, the things that you point to and say, well, look at, look at this. I'm okay. I'm ready to meet him. And those things that we count as credentials, the scriptures call, it, call us to count as liabilities, to really put them aside, count them as loss. They actually might be dangerous and get in the way of God saving us. So now having abandoned the empty credentials of this world standards, God wants us to receive by faith the perfect credentials of God's holy standard. Because what we really need to do is not wipe our dirty hands on muddy soccer shorts or the, the velvet of the royal box what we really need, what, what Bobby Moore really needed to do is to take 10 minutes and go get a shower, right? He needed, he needed full cleansing. And what he was doing wasn't going to accomplish that. And what you and I need is God's perfect righteousness, not our own half-baked self-righteousness. And so the scriptures call us to receive by faith the perfect credentials of God's holy standard. Watch how this plays out. In verse 9, Paul explains why he came to treat his credentials as liabilities. He sees what God requires is not our self-righteousness based on the law, doesn't because it never measures up, it never gets all the way there. But instead he calls us to the righteousness from God. It's important to pause for a second and look at this and recognize how foreign this language is in our culture today. We talk about good people and bad people. The scripture talks about people who've just got self-righteousness and those who have received God's righteousness. It's a totally different paradigm, a different way of looking at our world. The reality is that heaven is too pure for us to just march in there with our good works somehow mixed in with our sin and impurity. We need something different. We need the righteousness of God covering us and cleansing us. For many people, the good things they do, their religious credentials, get in the way of them seeking and feeling a sense of desperation to receive the help that God would otherwise provide. Romans 10.3 10, describes it like this. It says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, again that phrase, and seeking to establish their own, that is their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Again, no language of good people and bad people. We love that language. We love the language of good people and bad people because we want to convince ourselves, there's surely people that are worse than me. I'm not that bad. But the Bible doesn't use the language of good people and bad people. It, it refers here, again, to those who try and establish their own righteousness and, and never make it, never measures up, and those who would submit to God's righteousness to receive his, his perfect credentials on their behalf. Paul knows that as soon as he mentions God's righteousness, people will say, oh, what do I need to do to get that? What are the credentials that, that I can, by which I can earn God's righteousness? And so he clarifies in verse 9 that the righteousness of God comes 
through faith in Christ. And then says at the end of the verse, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It is righteousness from God, not our own, but something that we receive through faith by putting our trust in Jesus Christ. We don't add to it. We can't subtract from it. We can't earn it. It is something that we receive as his gift and we receive it by faith. That doesn't, however, mean that we, it is intended as a free ticket to sin. We don't need credentials, but, but trusting in God's righteousness mean, doesn't mean that we, we, we live a life that is free from righteousness. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says, If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And what he's saying here is, if after having put my faith in Christ and through faith received the righteousness of God, if I then begin to live an even worse life of sin than I did before, it probably doesn't show that that Jesus is, is promoting sin because he's not. It probably shows that I probably didn't understand what it meant to put my trust in Christ. Because it's not just an intellectual thing. It, it is a commitment of my heart. It is a movement of my will away from sin into Jesus Christ and his will for my life. It means I give my decisions, my future, my life, and I say, Jesus, now you're the Lord. You're my God. You're the one who directs my path. And the, the righteousness now is not something I'm doing to somehow earn heaven, earn heaven by my credentials. No, the righteousness in my life will grow. I will grow in acts of righteousness, but they flow in gratefulness out of the free gift of God's righteousness that I've received. It comes as a, in, in response to what God has done, not in any sense of trying to earn what God has done. And when you receive that righteousness, it becomes your source of joy. You no longer need to jump through people's hoops to earn God's acceptance. You never, no longer need to feel condemned by that person that said, yeah, but you haven't followed my program. I got something above scripture that you need to, you need to do in order to be acceptable to God. And you can say, no, I, I stand in joy because this righteousness that I've received from God is complete. It's free. It's, it's something that's been, been given to me and, I, and I've received it by faith and I'll stand in it. So abandoning this world's credentials and receiving God's perfect credentials by faith, that's, that's really at the, at the heart of this passage. But some of you might be thinking, that's just a... Maybe that's just a religious thing, or that kind of feels like a philosophical thing. It seems like a, a I don't know, some, something that we might learn in a class, but surely it doesn't change the way I live. But it should have a huge impact on how we live our lives. In fact, this passage shows that it changes our approach to suffering through the, the difficult circumstances we face in our lives. Now we lean into our losses so that we can know Christ all the more. Before, we would 
protect ourselves from our losses because the thing, if we're going to lose anything, it might impact our sense of confidence before God and other people. It might impact our credentials. And we don't, we want to hang on to our credentials because we think that those are the means by which God will accept us. And so the, uh, what the scriptures say is now, now there isn't that threat. Now we're not resting in our credentials to earn us anything before God. And so when loss comes, we can lean into that loss, knowing that in the midst of loss, we can experience more of Jesus Christ in our life, his power, and his changing work. When Paul trusted in Christ, he was an up-and-coming rabbi. He was he had gone through the elite training, sat under uh, one of the most famous rabbis in the first century. He was on a fast track for Jewish national leadership. In verse 8, he says, however, for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. For most people, this doesn't happen so dramatically, but for Paul, it literally mean, meant he lost everything. He lost his career path. He lost his, many of his friends. He lost his prominence. He lost his prestige in the community. Uh, he may very well have lost, uh, been disowned by his parents and lost his inheritance. He lost it all. And for the old Paul, that would have been devastating because he would have looked to all of those things as his means of confidence before God. But for the new Paul, he sees in those losses, those are, he's already learned to count them as loss. He's already learned to see that those aren't the things that give me a basis for acceptance before God. Now he compares those losses to the fact that he's gained Christ. And he said, this is so much more. What I've gained in the plus column is so much greater than anything I might have uh, chalked up in the minus column. With everything taken away, now he recognizes all he's got left is Jesus. <laughs> Literally, all he had left is Jesus. And he recognized how much he had in Jesus, how precious that gift was. In verse 10, he talks more of how he's grown to know Jesus and experience his power. And in fact, the first half of verse 10 is a favorite saying for many people. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Sounds so confident and victorious, right? Boy, this guy's living at a different level. And then he says in the second half of the verse, and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That part isn't as popular. But he, he recognizes that in his losses, he's becoming like Jesus Christ. God is using the loss of his credentials, the loss of the things that before gave him confidence to help him to cling to Christ. And as he does so, he is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And finally, in verse 11, Paul ends the section with a great declaration that in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any possible means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's seeing, he's seeing as he walks in the path of Jesus Christ, yeah, he's suffering some losses. But he's drawing near to Jesus Christ and he's following in his path and he knows that with Jesus Christ, the end of that path ended in resurrection. 
It ended with God displaying his power and righting all of the wrongs, reversing the great tragedy that would have otherwise been. And Paul can have confidence, that's the path that I'm on. This path ends in resurrection. And I'm actually living a taste of that right now in that I'm living a new life. I'm living with new strength and new power. And so I'm living with the grace of God and with the hope of resurrection in my life. Let's look to God for that power. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would guard us, uh, even as these words were intended to, uh, to warn us. We pray that you would guard us from those who would seek to demand man-made credentials that we might be acceptable before you. Give us discernment. May we not trust in our own efforts or our own righteousness, but help us to receive your righteousness through faith in Christ. And help us to rest in that righteousness. Not keep trying to earn people's approval or work for yours. Finally, Father, help us to lean into our losses. We feel the pain in our trials. But help us to draw nearer to Jesus in our losses. Help us to become more like Jesus because of our losses. And help us to keep our hope fixed on the resurrection because we believe that one day you'll make all things right. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.